0: Thanks for watching this episode of Turning to Him. I invite you to just take a few seconds right now at the beginning and subscribe to this channel so that you can get more videos like this in your feed. Thanks again. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Turning to Him. My name is Zach Batty, and I'm here with Portia Lauder. Portia, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, Zach. Thanks for having me. Well, I really appreciate
0: you taking the time to share your story with us. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and the experience that you wanted to share today.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, my name is Portia Lauder, and I grew up here in Utah, in a small town in Utah, and um, had a lot of difficult experiences in my youth. And then I had some um, some time in my life where I kind of turned to the Lord and, and really found Um, some strength and direction. And then I had some more difficult experiences in my life. And ultimately, and we'll talk a little bit bit more about this, but um, I found out how valuable I am to our father in heaven while I was in prison. And so maybe that's uncommon. Maybe it's more common than people would think, but that is something that I wanted to share that there is nowhere on this earth no place that you can sink so low that your heavenly father can't find you. So
0: that's fantastic. It sounds like, uh, well, yeah, I'm excited to hear the details. Sounds yeah. like a real Jonah experience. Yeah. <laughs> no place, yeah, no place where the Lord can't find you. Yeah, um, okay, take us to the beginning. You said you grew up and, and had some experiences in your youth.
1: Yeah, so I grew up in Richfield in southern Utah, small town at, on the outskirts of that town and my parents were um, members of the church. I don't remember, my parents were non-traditional in about every way. I almost like (laughs) anti-establishment. My mom was kind of a hippie, and my dad, um, he had animals. He was a Vietnam vet, so he had some PTSD, and they had seven children, and I was the oldest, and we went to church, but I don't remember scriptures or prayer. It was kind of okay my mom didn't like structures so um she's really creative though she loved like the she we would do plays and uh, you know draw and color and build things and all of that but it was pretty um chaotic growing up and so I remember um struggling with going to church or the activity of it and really by the time I was 13 I was done going to church and that's in our home you kind of did what you wanted to do so I was like I'm done and that was it and my first struggle, I would say, was boys. Like, I thought what boys thought of me was the most important thing, you know? So I've been able to identify that as, um, as relationships and also not really just not knowing who I am to Heavenly Father. Like, thinking that what other people think of me is what defines me, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, super challenging. Um, led to uh, me being a young mother at 17. I, I had my first child. Um, and I remember thinking, well, I just need to find the right man. Like, I just need to get married. Everything will be fine. Again, you know, looking around, not knowing that there's this whole foundational thing that takes place, kind of knowing who you are is the first step. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I, I got it. I guess you could say, um, a proposal. (laughs) It's kind of a funny proposal. I get to go to the MTC and I share this story and I say, you know, Um, my, I met a man, he was 10 years older than me. And he said, you should marry me. I can take care of you. (laughs) And I said, okay. And so, um, so yeah, we got married and it wasn't going real well. As you can imagine, we didn't know each other very well. He was a lot older. I was 18. He was 28. So he's quite a bit older than me. I have my, a son. I had been living in low-income apartments and kind of babysitting other children that were in single parent homes. And when about that time, my dad got a job offer in Salt Lake. And so he moved to Sandy in, oh gosh, I guess 90-ish with my brothers and sisters and my mom. And I do remember never having gone to Salt Lake before. So like, I literally, my life had been very small. I'd never been on an airplane, you know? And so I, I drive up to Salt Lake to see my parents. And I remember going, whoa, like there's like a whole world, you know, I could get a job, I could have a life. And I went back and told my husband, you know, I want to move up there and we should go up there and I'll get a job. And, and he said, you know, I'm never leaving this town and we don't even really get along. So you should just go and we'll get divorced. So you could see like really committed relationship. For how (laughs) long have you all been married? Um, We've been married about a year. Yeah, not too long. About a year. Okay. So
0: yeah, Man, already, there is so much to potentially talk about. Uh,
1: <laughs> well, it, there's a lot. Um, I, I will tell you, um, I'll try to go quick, because oh, I don't. Okay, okay, go ahead,
0: go yeah,
1: because that's, I mean, if I would love to tell you that that things just got a little easier at that point that they didn't, you know, I moved up, I got a job, and I found out I was pregnant. So um, I had my son. And then um called my husband and said hey I'm also pregnant you know with our child and he's like yeah well I don't want anything to do with that like I you know I'm done mm-hmm. and so I remember that being a really lonely time for me and yeah. and during that time I was working at this children's studio taking pictures and I remember my dad and I'm pretty stubborn so my parents aren't going to try to force anything on me right so my dad's like you should try to read the book of mormon and I'm like why would I ever do that dad? And, and his response was really good. He's like, because you're smarter than that. And you haven't even tried to read it. So how do you know it's not true? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it is, it's so true. right? So yeah. I started to read it at night because I was just so sad. Like I felt so lonely. And I remember not understanding it really well and feeling a lot of comfort, just comfort. And then my daughter was born and my dad asked me if he could bless her. And I said, yes. And so I went to the church and, you know, here I am a young mom with two kids. I'm 21 years old. Yeah. And I remember thinking all these women are married. That's all I need to do is get married. Like everything will work out, yep. you know?
0: Because yep. yeah. <laughs> once you get married all your problems go away.
1: Because yeah. like so I'm so good at picking them, the right people, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. So I, um, I started dating again. And then here's the other challenge. It's not even a challenge, but for some, some people struggle with infertility. I struggle with over fertility. So like I I've tried one time and I have six children. So I, I really do struggle with this. So, um, I started dating again and I got pregnant again. And I remember now, um, I am 23 years old. And I remember saying my first real prayer because I was scared and it was like, Heavenly Father, I don't know what to do. Help me. <laughs> yeah. You know? And I felt this strength. Like, I knew that my this child was like a special, I knew he was a little boy. And I knew that he wasn't mine to keep. Like, he had a family that I needed to give him up for adoption. And I remember telling my parents, and my dad said, I believe you can do that. That will be hard. But I think that's the right choice. And my mom said, that would be too hard. You should let me raise him, you know? And, and I remember telling my mom, mom, you're not that good at it. And either am I like raising kids, you know?
0: (laughs) Well, that's a frank conversation.
1: Yeah. It was very direct. And my mom was like, you're right. You know, you're right. (laughs) So it was, (laughs) so anyway, I mean our family, I can say we're pretty non-traditional. And so, um, I started looking and I went to several different places to look for this family. And I I remember being in an attorney's office, I'd gone through all of these files. And the last file that they had was a family who had just come in, and they already had three boys. And the lawyer, they said, he told the secretary, don't give that to her. They already have kids. And, you know, and, and as soon as I saw their picture, I said, but that's the family. I already know that's where, that's where David belongs. You know, David's my son's name. So. Um, So he can be, the lawyer said, well, I want you to meet with other people first. And I just said, I already saw their address. I'm going to track them down and tell them that I, you know, (laughs) so, so it was, so he agreed and and they came to every doctor appointment. They were right there with me. And I'm still, his mother is one of my best friends. Like I adore her. Um, But after David was born, I felt so empty and broken inside. I didn't even know what to do. Like, I thought, oh, I'll just go back to work. Well, I didn't have any clue how to deal with the trauma. I didn't have a connection to Heavenly Father. And so the doctor prescribed prescription drugs and I started using those all the time. Like I just became addicted right away. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, no, I don't need a man anymore. I just need more of these. Like that's gonna make me feel better. Yeah. And My life got a lot worse. I was um, lost my job and my parents were taking care of my two kids. And the family, um, Rhonda, who's David's mother, they stepped back, which they had to, which makes sense. I couldn't even process any of that. Like, I try to see him and them and my own kids. I had too much.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: I came home late one night. I had been gone, like, all day and night. And when I walked in, my little boy, who was eight or nine at the time, Jace, my oldest son, was crying, waiting for me. And my mom said, this little boy has been sitting here for hours looking out the window, waiting for you. And if this isn't enough for you, Portia, whatever would be for you to change your life. And I grabbed my son and I walked downstairs and I laid on the floor and I just sobbed and I begged God. I've never, I was so broken. I just begged him. I said, I will give up everything. If you will help me be a good mother, I can't do this anymore. I'm I don't know where to turn. I'll never date. I'll never do anything. Just help me find my way out of this. And my little boy, he, he said, mom, why are you crying? He's like, come look in the mirror, mom. You're so beautiful. You know, it was. Yeah. And so um, the next morning I got up and I walked over to our bishops. I never met him. I didn't know him. He was my parents' bishop and I was on his front porch and I just said, please help me. I don't know what to do. And He said, let me call someone. And he called someone to come over and talk to me about the, at the time it was AA. And he said, I will be your sponsor. I'll help you every way I can. And he said, Portia, I promise you with priesthood power and authority that if you will read your scriptures and you will say your prayers and you'll go to church, your whole life will change. And I did those things and it was really, really hard. I'm going to be honest, like I felt so uncomfortable in church and I felt so uncomfortable reading the scriptures, all of it. Um, I went to meetings and meetings helped a lot. I got involved in the LDS support group program that helped a lot. Um, I walked away from everything, all the friends and contacts that I had in the life that I had been living and one day at a time, you know, my life changed, it completely changed. And to the point where I remember, I just remember being six months free of drugs. And I was at the zoo with my son. And I remember thinking, looking around and thinking, if anyone knew what a miracle this is, like I'm sitting here being a good mom. And I remember, you know, looking at the animals and the everything. And I just, it felt so surreal to me. I thought, God created all this and he's solving my problems. Like, this is the real deal. You know, it just felt miraculous to me that my life could change. And so, so that was my testimony, you know, the first time I ever had faith in God, because I couldn't do it on my own. Like God was doing something for me that I couldn't do for myself. So, so
0: so at this point, you're 25.
1: Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, probably 25, 26 about then. And, um, so one of the things that happened for me, which happens when you get your life together and you aren't looking for something is it shows up. Right. So I met my husband (laughs) and he was like, he would just graduated college and had been on a mission and done all the right things. And I'm like, why would he date me? I asked him once, I said, what scares you the most about me? And he said, everything, like everything about you. (laughs) <laughs> there's not just one thing it's all of it. but um but Chad and I he married me and we went to the temple to Templeogue's temple and he adopted my kids we were able to have them sealed to us so like I'd love to tell you and this is when I go to the MTC I'm like and wouldn't it be so great? because I, I could see everybody just getting so excited. Yes. She made it. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I have to take you back down a rabbit hole here. There's a little detour, but but it it was beautiful, and it is beautiful because um, you know, I went to the temple every week. I my faith grew and I we lived in a little home in American Fork. I started my own photography company and it grew, 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 and Chad's career was going well. And then what I do always is I have more kids. So I had (laughs) two more kids, 18 months apart. And, um, and then my back went out and I had back surgery. And so I was taking pictures. I just had a newborn child and we started building a house and my, um, my back literally couldn't walk. Like I had a disc that got ripped out and I had to go get surgery and I started using pain pills again. So, um, and that is, you know, what I know about myself, I'm eight years sober now off prescription drugs, but um, I would rather dive than relapse. Like that's how serious it is to me because I've been to some dark places in my life through yeah. my addiction. And so I started to use and, um, and I remember being very busy. My business was growing. I was shooting like 200 weddings a year. So I had employees and you know, you can't imagine how many engagements and bridals that is and how, you know, it's just a lot. It was so much. And I ended up um, thinking that real estate was the answer to, so I could slow down, you know, at one point, my husband quit his job to help and take care of the kids. And I got involved in these illegal real estate deals. And that was terrifying because I remember, first of all, it was really heavy and overwhelming just to be, you know, it's not like, I don't know if anybody intentionally thinks what they're doing is illegal, but you can feel like the Holy Ghost tells you, you know, uh, don't do this. Don't do that. And then desperation and prescription drugs, whatever it is, my judgment. I continued despite the spirit's warnings. And um, and I remember hearing I was under investigation and thinking, please just go away. Like, I can't do this. You know, I can't go to prison. I can't. And then the FBI showed up, you know, and that's like the worst day of your life. Like, that's, yeah, Nobody wants that. Like if they start talking to your neighbors, they talk to you. It's just so scary. And I, I remember thinking, who would I be if I went to prison? Like I would, you know, how could I ever recover from that? Like I've already come back from hard things. I remember showing them a picture of my family and saying, you can have everything I have, but just you can't have my family, you know? And I just thought, how my husband won't stay. Who would... Who, we can't get through this. And I fought, fought, fought. And and looking back, I'm like, the power for me would have been, okay, I made a mistake. Let's look at it. And what can I do to make it right? You know, but I was so scared. And I think had I done that, my outcome would have been completely different, but I just kept denying it and making excuses. And, And so I've learned like to make a mistake is one thing, but to deny the mistake is a far worse mistake. Like just own that and move forward. Just like my addiction, just own it. Just say, okay, yep, I relapsed. Now let me just figure, get on solid ground and start working back into, you know, but I didn't. um, The relapse continued. And then I, you know, I fought the feds, which never, you never win when you fight the feds. Just so you know, (laughs) they have the nuclear weapon. They're the big boys, you aren't. (laughs) So I just drained us financially. And then I ended up. I'm walking into a federal courthouse anyway. And, you know, that was one of the more surreal and lonely days of my life to be sitting in a federal courtroom and see my husband and my children, all back there. And I'm, I'm like, I remember the feeling of walking into the courtroom, it's very sterile. And it just hit me. The reality of my situation was so extreme. Like I obviously had to be in denial to continue acting the way I did, but it, it kind of slipped away when I got into the courtroom and I just started to cry just the heaviness of the situation. And I remember thinking, I just want to get back to my family, but it seems so far away. Like they're, you know, that's a different life. And I knew when I walked in that the judge was going to give me the most extreme sentence he could, which was seven years. I was facing zero to seven years and I could feel it. And I think I knew that I kind of deserved it. That was the thing. It wasn't even like I was angry. It was just like, what have I done? I've I've made these mistakes. I've denied these mistakes. I've drugged the process on. And now I'm sitting here and I just felt such a sorrow, like such sorrow. I. I remember listening to the the judge and the the or the the judge, you know, the United States of America versus Portia Lauder. and I'm like, wow, you know, wow. <laughs> How long from the time you walk into the
0: courtroom to the time that you first become aware that you're being investigated?
1: Oh, oh, you okay? So that just depends on each person. So no, this, I, yeah, I mean,
0: for you, for you. Oh,
1: I knew I was being investigated in 2000. Five or six. The FBI showed up in two thousand eight. I didn't get indicted until two thousand eleven, and I was sentenced in two thousand fifteen. So this is yeah, (laughs) (laughs) well 20 years when I get by the time I did my prison time, but yeah, a big chunk of my life.
0: I mean, ten years. You are really kind of carrying this weight of of looking over your shoulder, wondering. It was the heaviest.
1: In some ways, prison was a relief. I mean, prison was very painful. But yeah, it's impossible. I had a nightmare once since I got home from prison because I remember talking about the the fact that I would do it all different. I would do it all different. I would never, you know, Mm -hmm. and I had this dream that I was right back there and the weight of it, I woke up physically sick just from the weight of it. Like, I don't know how I made it through. (laughs) It was so heavy and awful. And I had support. Like I talked to my bishop and my stake president. So I was really encircled in the love of a community throughout but I still the heaviness and the awfulness I would do it different I think but I don't know because when I had that dream I thought it was just so awful it would I was so scared you know the heaviness of all of it the fear but I think that day in the courtroom it was like remember the judge said Miss Otter, do you have anything you want to say? And my lawyer's like, no. And I looked at her and I go, I just need to say I'm sorry. Can I please get up there? She goes, Go ahead. Because he already was going to do what he was going to do, you know. And I just said, I understand that you what you're going to do today, and I probably deserve it. I just need my family and community to know how sorry I am, that I was wrong and I'm sorry. And he's like, Thank you. Miss louder. And then he, he said one thing that I remember going, hmm. he's like, you'll be a mother again someday, Miss louder. And I was like, Hmm, you can't take away my mother. But yeah.
0: yeah. Tomorrow or like five minutes from now. <laughs> Cause I'm always a mother. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, I remember then I sat down and he sentenced me to 84 months, which is seven years in prison and then um and then he said something that was a little unusual he said um marshals i'd like you to take Miss mislater into custody today and i didn't expect that because i'm a white collar crime like usually you get time to self-surrender and um my husband stands up and he's crying at the podium and he said please don't do this to her please give her time to say goodbye to her family He's like we need this time together. And I I literally remember looking turning around and looking at Chad and he he had a hard time composing himself to even speak and thinking there's nothing on this earth that could divide me from him. Why did I think that? Like even though I had a lot of repenting to do, we're married in God's temple. And and there's nothing the judge can do today that's going to change that. And I thought, I just felt like a queen. Like I went from feeling like the most lowly person on the planet and realizing how powerful those covenants are. And that my husband, I was like, it was a really tender moment to see my husband advocate for me because my, my lawyer had been, but your honor and nothing, my lawyer said helped. And then my husband stepped in the judge says, I'll give her eight weeks. So yeah. Right. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So it was pretty, um, I mean, it was still, I remember walking out of the courtroom and my lawyer saying, Portia, you should send the kids with your, all together, your, the press is outside so that you and your husband can just go together. So we walked out together and we got in the car and I remember Chad saying, is there anything I can do? And everything was surreal. I just thought I couldn't even speak for like two hours because I was so Devastated. I thought, I am such a bad person. Like the reality of my situation and what I'd done was just such a shock. It, it really was. And I remember looking around at people driving and thinking, why is the world still going? Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's it's like it's all Didn't shit. People did. know what just happened. Right? The whole change. And the other thing that was so bizarre to me was that it became so clear that I had been such a fool. Like I thought. I've been working to make money to spend time with my children, but I could have always spent time with my children instead of trying to make money. Like it was like such a shift for me. Like I'm trading the most value. I traded everything for money, which is so useless. My time is so valuable. And, you know, that's never changed for me. Like from that point on, um, there wasn't one moment in prison that I missed money. And when I came home from prison, I did, I have never cared about money again. In my book, money burned me really good that day. (laughs) Like I realized, you know, that it it is, my time is so valuable to me. I I had a job interview recently and he said, you know, well, what would it take to have, because I do mentoring. What would it take to have you come on board? And I said, honestly, you can't afford me. He goes, well, what's the number? I go, it's not a money thing. I'm like, it's my time. (laughs) Like, I don't know if I'm willing to give that to you because I have children and grandchildren and other things in my life. That come first, so I'll have to look if I can fit that in. Because now I know, like how foolish I was that I had traded something so important—my time with my family—for money. It was just foolish, you know. So that was a shift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay,
0: so I have eight weeks now.
1: Yeah. Doing
0: those eight weeks.
1: You know, um, I remember driving my son to school the next morning and thinking, "How could I have missed this?" This is the most beautiful experience of my life. I'm crying and my son's like, mom, it's okay. I'm gonna help dad, it's all gonna be okay. And I'm like, no, Jackson, that's not it. This is so beautiful just to be with you. How, you know, and I thought, how could I have missed this? How could I have missed everything? because my life was so chaotic. I didn't enjoy and appreciate those things. And that's what I did that last eight weeks. I watched my kids sleep. I listened to what they had to share with me. I walked to the mailbox and got mail, you know, and neighbors would just stop by and bring cookies and say, I don't even know what to say, but I'm sorry. It was so cute. You know, I remember walking our dog and somebody like hit the brakes on their car, jumped out and ran over and gave me a hug and said, I don't have words, but I just want you to know I love you. And it was like, it was, you know, it was. I remember the morning that I got up to, for Chad to, to take me to prison that morning. Um, so I cried all night. You know, I just watched my kids sleep. I just walked in each of their rooms. And I remember um, going out into the living room when it was dark and I was cleaning the house. And I remember thinking, like, how much I would miss taking care of my family, you know? And then I called my sister because she and I are really close and she started to cry. And I said, no it's going to be okay. And she goes, Portia. And I said, Kira, I honestly don't know if I can do this. Like, honestly, I just don't, I don't know if I can do it. And she goes, you're the strongest person. I know if anyone can do this, you can. And I said, yeah, but I just don't know if I can leave my kids. And she said, Portia, do you have any idea how much Chad loves you and how much those kids love you? And I said, I know, but I still don't know if I can do it. And she's like, you can, and you will, and you will come home. Amazing. I already know, you know, and it was, I, It was the hardest thing to leave my kids. And then I thought that I honestly thought that it couldn't get any harder. But when I walked into prison, there's not really any way to prepare a person for that feeling because and people call me all the time that are going to prison and they're like, tell me what, how do, what should I be prepared for? I'm like, oh, honey, (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah, put some money on your books. Who cares? None of that's going to matter to you. You're going to be so broken hearted. You have to know, you know. And when I walked in, they give you, they assign you to this room. And for three days, I couldn't get off the bed. Like I couldn't imagine how I was going to survive. I thought I can't, I can't do this. Like I thought I can't do it for a week, let alone seven years or whatever this judge says I can do. Everybody wore khaki. Nobody was happy. It just seemed like the most cold, awful place, you know? And I remember my roommate saying, you have, I mean, she's like, you have to get out of here. You have to go eat because they do room checks. And if they see you like this, they're going to go put you in an isolation cell. And it's worse there than it is here. And I said, go away, please. I need some time. And then I got on my knees and I said the most important prayer I've ever said in my whole life, which was heavenly father. I feel like nobody, like I have failed everybody in my life. I am in such a deep hole. I've hurt my children. I've hurt my family, my husband. I've left them in a really bad situation because I did financially and everything else. I have I need to know who I am to you. I just can't do this alone. And I remember feeling the most incredible amount of love and connection, like something I've never experienced in my life. And I'm sitting there in a prison cell in a uniform on a cement floor brokenhearted and I could see that in that state I had the most important purpose on this earth like I was valuable beyond anything I could comprehend and I could see that everybody in that prison was so valued and that we were all connected you know like we were all connected we're all part of one thing and we were so valuable and I remember thinking I never needed a man (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like I didn't know you know I mean I absolutely love my husband but I was like I didn't know like I didn't know you know I didn't know who I was until that day like no matter what I had ever been through I'd been to the temple I had kids I'd been through addiction but until that day and I remember. So many times in prison, I had this little tree. I'd go sit down there underneath the tree and I would say, I need to feel it again. I need to know who I am because it's hard. Like it was hard. I spent four and a half years away from my family and I watched my kids grow up without me. They, I didn't see them often. I was in California and I was in Minnesota. I got transferred and I, because I was in federal prison and I saw him about once a year. And every time I saw him, when you, I left kids, my younger ones were, um, seven, 12 and 14. So, I mean, they were growing. My 12 and 14 year old were six inches taller and they were hurting. And I remember my son saying, um, how angry he was and how mad he was at everybody else. And I just looked at him and I said, Jackson, this was me. This wasn't the, your principal. It wasn't the cops. It wasn't the FBI. It wasn't the prison. This was me. I did this. And I'm so sorry. And you have every right to be angry at me, but you can't be mad at them. No one else. I did it. And I, I knew that the only way forward was to build a foundation on truth. Like we had to have that. We had to start there, but watching my kids hurt was like it. I can't even describe. I, I remember spending three days just on my knees, almost constantly. And my roommate would go, Oh whoa! God must love you because all you do is pray. <laughs> you know, <laughs> whoa, girl. <laughs> oh, I—I'll have people say, "Were you scared?" I'm like, I was so broken-hearted. Fear was—I would have had to climb up to get to fear, like you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's—it's yeah. yeah, it's like, what are they gonna do? Hit me? You think I'm scared of that? I feel like I'm gonna die. Like my heart was so broken, and I also felt this connection to our Savior. Like I could picture myself just kneeling before the savior and i knew like i'm next to the temple you know and maybe the mtc like the spirit that i felt in prison was like this beautiful loving like it compared to the years of leading up to it my prison time for me was sacred however devastatingly painful you know it was super painful, but I've never. I mean, I built a relationship. I was the only member uh, in Minnesota for three years, and I fasted every Sunday. I get my ends. Like I was so religious about my scripture study. Um, it was it was a sacred time for me in my life. You know, I had lots of so many spiritual experiences and met the most amazing women. And I think about halfway through, I was able to start to serve others, like in such a beautiful way, like you know, cause I, I could, I would, I could listen. I had enough room in my soul to just listen to what they had to share and serve in any way that I could. I started writing classes and teaching classes and just by the end of my sentence, I, my husband and I did a video for the, the church recently. And they asked what was one of the benefits of prison? And I said, man, by the end of prison, I felt so good about myself. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, that's good. I said, yeah, like I felt really, really like. I looked in the mirror and loved, I had rebuilt my integrity. I knew who I was to our, our heavenly father. I felt so close to our savior. I was like sad to leave all the people I loved, but I was excited for my future, but it really was such a refining experience for me. So,
0: okay. So, so you finish your time or I guess any, anything more about the time in prison?
1: No, I I think that, um, that's, that's, you know, I finished my time in August, 2019 and my husband was waiting outside the prison with flowers, which was pretty cool. (laughs) Not very many, many women have that story. He waited four and a half years for me. So, and then it's just been this um, journey since I got out. So yeah.
0: Oh my gosh. Was it difficult to get back into non-prison life?
1: Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) it like it sounds so goofy but like um there's this tenderness it's not what people think we just really help each other and we walk through this pain together and you're so close to everyone like you have roommates and neighbors and you know what's going on so if somebody's struggling we're all circling them in prayer we're praying together we're supporting each other and then i got home and i felt very alone like i remember being at the halfway house and I hadn't seen boys for, I don't know how long, you know, cause it's all girls. And, and this young guy comes up to me and he goes, are you okay? And I go, no, I feel really weird. <laughs> and he goes, well, I saw your husband and your daughter and they seem to really love you. you. You'll be all right. And I go, I know, but I just feel so yucky. And he goes, you know, what was surprised me the most about prison? And I go, what's that? And he goes, mayonnaise makes everything taste better. <laughs> And then I just started to laugh and I go, right? And he goes, yeah. He goes, you wouldn't know that unless you went to prison. <laughs> and <laughs> I said, because they sell you these little mayonnaise bottles. And it's like, everything tastes terrible, but a little bit of mayonnaise solves the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, see, nobody would know that out here. But yeah. I think that connection that we we share in there is so special. I will really quickly share. One of my sweetest friends, I met her in prison. I knew as soon as I met her, I could see her light, you know, and I found out that her father had died from suicide. Her mother died from a drug overdose. She had been poor, poor, poor. Her mom started using with her when she was young and she ended up in prison. So she had nothing, but she would, she would get on her knees and pray for 45 minutes every night. And so she and I are roommates and we really got close. And I remember, um, she had this humble, beautiful, kind spirit. And when I left, she throws her arms around me and she goes, Priscilla, will I see you again? I said, I promise that you will, you know? So I get out and she sends me a message and says, I got a job at a care center. She loves the elderly too. Like she would take all the elderly inmates. And she said, and I met this woman named Cecile. She had a stroke. She's my very best friend. And she's a member of the church you're a member of. And she said, she's been waiting for me because until I get baptized, she can't die. And her husband's waiting for her on the other side. <laughs> and I said, Are you talking to missionaries? And she goes, Yeah. And, and then she talked to went to an AA meeting and she met a man there that said, You're so lit up. What's your religion? And she said, Well, I'm talking to these LDS missionaries. So he said, well, I want to talk to him too. So the two of them decide to get baptized and I fly out there and sit next to Cecile, you know? And I just felt this absolutely knowing that we're all connected. We're all like, we knew each other before we came to earth. Like we're, we have this special bond, you know? And then Cecile passes away and Christina calls me and says, you're coming out because I'm going to the temple. And I fly out and we sit together in the celestial room. And she said, Portia, we met in prison and today we set together in our heavenly father's highest kingdom of glory on the earth and and that was the most joyful day of my life even more than when i married my husband <laughs> it's like like the the eternal joy that i felt was so beautiful that i would have done everything i went through to just fill that day it was like the real deal that eternal yeah. joy you know and i've had numerous things like that where the people Christina is one of my best friends. She's the young woman's president in her ward right now. Like she lives in Missouri, but we are, that bond is like sisterhood times hundred. It's just amazing. And I met her in prison. So my whole life changed, you know what? I would never undo it, but it was like really hard. And it was hard to adjust, but I'm, you know, four years later, I feel pretty adjusted now. Sure, sure.
0: <laughs> I love one of the things that seems like a thread throughout your story is, Knowing who you are and the importance of knowing who you are, whether and and I, I don't know if young women struggle with it more than young men, perhaps, but just that value of if you don't know who you are, then oh. other people get to tell you who you are. Absolutely, that's never, that's never a good place. Oh, never make it through high school <laughs> like that. I'll you tell you. It.
1: If I wouldn't have known who I was when I got out like imagine if I would have let the world define me you know you're a felon now what you've been to prison now what I'm like oh no none of that's going to work for me I know who I am to my heavenly father and that's changed everything for me I have it has not hindered me in any way to have the experiences I've had because I know who I am so when people ask me what can I do even p- parents with kids that are struggling I'm like you have to know who you are. Like for me with my kids, cause they get lost. It's crazy. I have to be that sure foundation of knowing who I am. Cause I can't give them something I don't have. I can't say you're so amazing, but I don't know it about myself. I have to know who I am so I can pass that on to my children. So yeah, yeah that's the most important thing in my life. More important than my husband or anything else. Knowing who I am to heavenly father is number one for me. Cause that, that's changed everything for me. It yeah. really is. Yeah.
0: I always have, I've told people a number of times, and I'm curious as to your thoughts, if you know that you are a child of God and loved unconditionally, uh-huh. and have a supporting spouse, you can get through just about anything in life. Oh,
1: I know that's true. <laughs> I know that's true. You can get through things you absolutely don't think you can get through. I know um, knowing who you are, like death is. I have no fear of anything anymore. You know, I, I'm like it's just all there's no fear of it. I know who I am to God, and I look in the mirror and I feel really good about myself. And I don't what other people think is so irrelevant to me. I love people so completely. I serve and I love, but I don't worry about what they think because it's between me and God. That's what it's you know. So yeah. I don't. When people say, well, they look at me back. You know, I work in mental health, so there's a lot of times where people struggle with the way the world sees them. And I really try to bring it back to the empowerment of how you see yourself. That's the most important thing. And that comes from heavenly father.
0: Yeah. You know, the other thing I love, the uh, parallel that I've seen is um, in, in past college, I've worked a lot with people who um, are excommunicated or along those lines. And yeah. sometimes there's this feeling that, okay, I get excommunicated and I will not receive any more blessings in my life until I become a member of the church again. Right. The Lord Lord doesn't love me until I get this fixed. And then I have, Oh. that is not the case. And and I mean, you lived a very physical reality of that, of, look, we're not saying everybody should go to prison so that they get a better relationship with the savior. No, no, no. no. However.
1: But but my darkest moments really connected me that's the point like if you can't figure out who you are to god in your lowest moment like that that's a great time to turn to him any time is a great time to time to turn to him you know i clearly had a lot of repenting to do <laughs> you know i'm standing there in the federal courthouse i'm like I got, I got a road in front of me but but still those temple covenants bound us together. Like heavenly father will do so much for you even when you've strayed. I know this because I felt it. I have a brother who's been living, you know, homeless in Los Angeles and his darkest moments. He's he's working right now one step at a time to know who he is to our heavenly father. I mean, don't ever think that you're not. Just turn to him. It's right there. Just ask him who you are wherever you are because he will I he reached out to me in the middle of my addiction and in the middle of prison, and in the middle of all these hard things. And I know there's nothing I can do to diminish that love. He's always there. He always feels it more than I could ever comprehend. It's just me asking, you know.
0: And and I love that the, the atonement in Christ does not remove consequences. No. That love is available whenever and wherever we are, as soon as we are willing to receive it. Absolutely.
1: And the consequences are growth. Like, I mean, if you took the consequences from me, like, what if he would have said, okay, Portia, you learned now, if I would have come home in the the first month of my prison sentence, I would have never been blessed the way I have been. Like the consequences taught me growth and understanding and compassion and made me a lot more careful and cautious and about, you know, all of it, all those consequences were now I understand like accountability is power, consequences is like the journey. Like, He, if, if Heavenly Father, He loves us enough not to take those from us, He wants us to grow. You know,
0: so, I like that accountability is power. I've never, heard oh, it that. is
1: because like, as long as I felt victimized, you know, it wasn't until I was just like, I 100% did this to myself. I didn't get done dirty. It wasn't the government, it wasn't a neighbor, it wasn't because somebody else got away with it. Portia, you did this. As painful as that is, that is the beginning of a brand new story. That is the beginning of now that you did that, you can do something different now because you can free yourself through ownership. But I, I believe that until I could really own it, until I could accept that I had done these things up to that point, I was in victim into a place of victimness and it was painful. I felt so imprisoned by the time I got the end of my prison sentence, I felt freer than I ever had in prison I felt totally free I'm like am I going to feel this good out there because I was in complete control of my choices and my responses to everything that went around on around me my thoughts I had control over I had there were so many things that were within my control in prison and so I did but I didn't see that when I first got there I felt very victimized it took ownership it took a real honest look at my choices and acceptance of those things before I started to feel free wow
0: I tell you the things that I'm going to take away from this discussion are the value of time. Oh yeah. <laughs> the value of knowing who you are Are like, that has to be at your core. That has to be part of your DNA. You have to yeah. know who you are with your heavenly father. And then I like that accountability is power. Yeah. It's huge. Okay. What would you now go back? What would you tell 10 year old
1: Portia? Oh, <laughs> I would tell 10 year old Portia, I would say, don't you give up. You can't see it yet, but you have a beautiful life. You have so much to fight for. Um, I would say, um, be patient, Portia, slow down. Um, you better figure out who you are because the rest of everything depends on it, you know? And, uh, you know, I would say your dad's right about that Book of Mormon thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I read the Book of Mormon like three or four times a year when I was in prison. I mean, I read it every year, two or three times. You know, that book, I slept with it my first two years. It was like my, you know, it was like my protection. <laughs> yeah. Your dad was right about the book. No one in my family's read the Book of Mormon like I have because that's been my protection. <laughs> but, you know, my dumb little 20 whatever year old self, like, why would I want to read that?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. No, so I guess I would just say, girl, you've got an amazing future. Don't you dare give up. Don't give up before the miracle. I don't know where you're at in your struggle, but man, and the struggle will refine you into, and and it's all your blessing in the end. like you get to decide how it ends. You get to decide how to respond to the hard stuff. and then it's all worth it, you know? <laughs> an amazing ending makes it all worth it. Like I would tell girls that all the time I'm like, the world is cheering us on. And they go, you're crazy. I'm like, no, for real. They love us. <laughs> and then I would say, you can't quit because you have an amazing story. And if you quit, it will just be a tragedy. But if you have an amazing ending, then you're a hero. Like you have an amazing story, you know, but don't quit. Don't ever quit. So I, my, my sister the other day, she goes, you're so amazing. And I, and because I'm trying to help my brother with some things. And I said, not even close. And I said, I'm just a girl that never gives up. And she goes, that's the definition of amazing Porsche. <laughs> and I thought I that definition, just don't give up, you know, don't you give up. So, yeah, I
0: love it. Thank you so much for being so uh, generous with sharing your story. I mean, you could keep this to yourself yeah. and then, and so many people would lose out on the blessing of hearing from this and learning from it.